Our uh, scripture reading this morning is a continuation of the ones that we read last week on the resurrection of Christ. Last week, uh, Mary encountered the uh, resurrected Lord, and it continues on this week in our scriptures, which is John 20, uh, verses 19 through 31, and Christ encounters our wonderful doubting Thomas. So we read those scriptures. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen and praise the Lord. It is my pleasure uh, to be with you again this, this morning. Uh, on my last visit, uh, me and my family, we just felt so uh, welcomed by all of you, so it's, it's very good to be back. One Sunday morning, as part of the church service, the preacher invited all the children to come forward for the children's sermon. This happens in many parishes, many churches. So the children all walked down the aisles. Most of them were between the ages of three to seven years old. And there was one particularly bright little girl named Sarah who was about six. Sarah loved being at church. She loved Sunday school. She loved all the Bible stories her parents had read to her. 
And Sarah always enjoyed it when the pastor gathered all the children in front of the church for the children's message. So when they were all there together this morning, the preacher began by asking the children a question. He said, I'm thinking of something, and I want you to try to figure out what it is. So he asked, what climbs up trees and runs very fast? None of the children responded. He said, okay, what likes eating nuts and also likes to gather and hide them? Again, no response from the children. The the pastor then asked, okay, what is also kind of fuzzy and has a big bushy tail? Sarah was confused, but she raised her hand and she spoke up anyway. And she said, pastor, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. Now, we, we all like being able to have the right answers. We, we like being able to give the right answers. And it can be very comfortable when we're giving the same right answers as everyone else all around us. This can be on issues of religion or politics or any important matter that we discuss in whatever communities we're a part of. Especially when all the, the bright people around us give us their informed opinion on something, when they're all saying, yes, this is how it is. It's very satisfying to be able to say, yes, and that's what I believe to be true also. And giving the right answer is good. That's good. And certainly it's helpful to hear the wisdom that those around us have to offer us. But as we get a little older and a little braver, like Sarah, we discover that while the right answer may be good, being honest is even better. And in the spiritual life, as we mature in our faith, as we we come to see our own sense of who we are, it is actually often the more faithful thing and the wiser thing to say, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with everyone. I know there's an expectation of what I ought to be saying, of what I ought to believe and think, but I'm going to need to discover this truth for myself. But right now, I don't know. The Gospel of John describes the resurrection as we heard in this way. Following Jesus' death, then on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb of Jesus. She finds the stone rolled away and the tomb is empty. She immediately runs to tell Peter and John and they return to the tomb with her. The two disciples see that, yes, as Mary described, the tomb is empty, but they aren't sure what to make of it, so they return to their homes. Mary stays behind and it's this beautiful, familiar scene. She's outside the tomb crying. She sees two angels have appeared in the tomb and they speak to her. And then as she turns around, she sees someone she imagines to be the gardener. And Mary begins to speak to this person, not knowing who it is until this person calls her by name, Mary. And she calls out to him, Rabboni, meaning teacher, because Mary recognizes this is the risen Lord. And the risen Lord tells her, go tell your brothers. And she does, and she tells Peter and John and all the others, I have seen the Lord. 
And that's where we pick up with this morning's reading. That very evening, that, that Easter evening, the disciples were gathered behind locked doors. The doors were locked because they were afraid. They didn't understand. At this point, only Mary Magdalene has seen the risen Christ. No one else. And as they are gathered in that room, Jesus comes and stands among them and offers these wonderful first words, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounded hands, his pierced side, and they too now know this is Jesus. This is the risen Lord. And Jesus blesses them with peace as we heard, and he breathes on them. That wonderful Greek word is pneuma. It's uh, similar to the, the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath and wind and spirit. And so the disciples receive the spirit and the healing power of forgiveness. It's an incredible scene. Now, Thomas was not with them that evening, and we don't know why. Maybe he needed to be alone with his grief. Maybe he was busy. We don't know. But the disciples tell Thomas after that event, they tell him what happened that evening, that the risen Christ appeared to them somehow through, through walls and locked doors, and there was this greeting of peace and this, this blessing with the Holy Spirit. And Thomas, bless his heart, he responds a little like Sarah. He says, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a ghost. <laughs> or a figment of your imagination, or something else to me. You might like me to say, all right, you tell me it's Jesus and that answer's good enough for me, but I'm gonna have to experience this one on my own, for myself. I'm going to need to come to my own answer. I wasn't there. Let me see the wounds in his hands and feet the way the rest of you did, and then we'll see. Then maybe, Jesus will be my answer to. I, I know that Thomas is called the doubter. He's traditionally called Doubting Thomas. And even to this day, nearly 2,000 years later, that's what he's known as. And we sometimes call a person by the same name if we sense they're somehow kind of weak in their faith. Just believe, these people are told. Have some faith. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. Well... I'm here to stand in defense of Thomas. In fact, the scriptures don't call him doubting Thomas at all. Now, the scriptures call Peter the rock, rocky, the name given to him by Jesus. But we all know Peter sometimes wasn't very rocky-like at all. The scriptures call James and John the sons of thunder, maybe because they were so ambitious but the Bible never really describes that as being anything particularly virtuous. The scripture does describe the disciples at one point or another as being rather slow-witted and slow to understand. And to be honest, at the time of the crucifixion, all of the disciples could have been called the coward or the deserter or the fearful. We have to be careful attaching a name to someone because to be honest, we could all have some flattering or unflattering name attached to us based on one strength or one weakness that we have. But that name would not begin to describe the fullness of who we are. You could say, oh, there's Lazy Bob, and you might imply Bob never does anything at all. Or there is Smart Susan, and we might think 
Man, she's got everything figured out. Any name we assign to someone, lazy, smart, the rock, the doubter, the coward, a son of thunder, they only tell a tiny piece of who someone is, and maybe only at one particular moment. There is a word that the scriptures do use to describe Thomas. This is his biblical nickname, so to speak. And he was called that in today's reading, if you notice. It is simply called the twin. The twin. I love that. The name is not judgmental, like, oh, he's steady as stone or shifty as sand. Thomas is the twin, like another person, like all the disciples, like all of us. I know I'm bucking 2,000 years of church tradition, but I don't like to call this disciple Doubting Thomas. He was human, like all of us, which means he was wondrously made, as the psalm says, and of course he was flawed and imperfect. He was gifted, and he was sinful, and he was beloved, just like the rest of Jesus' friends, just like all God's children, just like you and me. Thomas, the twin, kind of stands in for us. He shows us something about ourselves. And I think the church has understood this. That's why each year, on this week following Easter Sunday, the church always tells this story of our twin, Thomas, every year. So that's why Baptists and Episcopalians and Lutherans and Roman Catholics, this day is Thomas Sunday for them. The time when we get to hear the story of a twin, someone a lot like us. And one of the wonderful things we learn from Thomas is that another person's answer, even if it's the right answer, like Jesus, can only take us so far. So Thomas boldly declares to his friends, I want to see Jesus myself. I want to know. I don't need to see an angel like Mary Magdalene did. I don't need to see some supernatural being that moves through walls and locked doors. I just want to see Jesus. Jesus, with the wounds in his hands, in his flesh, because then I can see if God overcomes death and suffering and woundedness, then I can believe. And that's exactly what happens. So the next week, the next Sunday, the disciples are again gathered in a house. This time Thomas is with them. And again Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then notice what Jesus does. <laughs> he offers peace to everyone. Everyone. Even Thomas. He doesn't say, if you've got all the right answers, oh, then you can have the peace of the Lord. Then I'll give you my gift of peace. No, peace is given to all with all their gifts, all their strengths, all their faults, all their doubts, all their beliefs. And Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for not being there last Sunday. He doesn't criticize him for his earlier response. In fact, Jesus offers the very thing Thomas was seeking. Jesus said to, his, to him, come, come, reach out. Come see my hands. Come see my sides. Come, touch, and see. Don't be faithless. Don't doubt Thomas but believe. And for Thomas, that is enough. Notice there's no suggestion in the scripture story that Thomas ever takes Jesus up on this offer to actually 
poke his finger in the wounds. When Thomas encounters Jesus, Thomas just knows that's enough. He actually didn't need the proof to believe. What he needed was the presence with the living Christ. And when he received this, when he received the gift of simply the presence of Christ, then Thomas knew. His own answer became, yes, this is Jesus. And it was then that Thomas, Thomas, the first among all the disciples, he's the very first one to turn to Jesus and declare what we Christians have been saying for centuries now. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Last week we heard the Easter story of the risen Christ. And with the story of Easter, the story of resurrection, it's something that each of us in our own way are going to need to touch and see and hear and encounter for ourselves. We can hear stories from others, like the disciples did from Mary, and that can be very helpful. We can read stories from the Bible, and they too are very good and helpful. And we can hear sermons from Pastor Curtis or from me, Hopefully those things are good and helpful also. But each of us are going to have to encounter Christ for ourselves. And that happens when we bring ourselves honestly, not with someone else's answers, we bring ourselves into this light and presence of Christ. So even if we have our doubts and questions, that is all right. We bring those too. It's okay to admit, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but boy, I'm just not quite sure. To say that is to put you in good company. Your twin Thomas walked that same path. The point is to keep exploring, to keep asking, to keep open to where the Spirit can move and guide and inspire. And like Thomas, it's okay if your experience is not the same as everyone else. Thomas stayed on the path. I love how Thomas showed up the next Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. There's probably a lesson for all of us in that too. See, Thomas, our twin, reminds us that we don't always need to be certain about everything. God doesn't require us to be perfect, thank heavens. God doesn't even require us to be doubt-free. God is calling us to be people who simply come and bring ourselves and listen and question and learn and grow. God trusts us enough, like any loving parent would, to let us have some doubts and uncertainties. God believes that we need to have courage enough to bring just who we are. Jesus, who comes to the disciples with his very visible wounds, will surely meet us in whatever woundedness or weaknesses we have. And Jesus still offers the gift of peace and forgiveness and new life. The good news of resurrection on that Easter Sunday, and, and always for us today, is really the good news about God's love. That's what it comes down to, I would say. A person encounters Christ, a person encounters the living Lord, and knows resurrection the same way they would know love. Because even though it's hard to describe, we know when we are loved. We know when we are in the presence of our beloved. We can see what happens inside people and around people when love happens. 
In the spiritual life, we can see what happens to people when they're connected with that divine love, when they become an instrument to pass on that love to others, as Jesus asks his disciples to do. Because suddenly there's some light there and hope and joy and peace. Love is that real. Resurrection is that real. See, the resurrection of of Jesus is more than just some historical event that took place. It's, It's more than a particular answer to have or a doctrine we need to accept. The resurrection is the story that points to the truth that the power of God can overcome anything. And God can work with anything. God can work with anyone. Even if there is suffering, even if there is death, even if there is doubt, even if there is struggle. There's an old story of a little boy who was frightened one night in his bed when a huge, noisy thunderstorm was raging outside. So he called to his mother to come and help. The mother went to the boy's room, and being Christian, she tried to assure her child with some kind of standard theological concepts. Yes, son, God knows we're afraid, but God hears our prayers. God gives us strength, and so on. She got up to leave, telling her son, So don't be afraid, dear. God is with you. And the little boy responded, Mom, I know God is with me, but I need someone with some skin on. That's what resurrection life looks like. The Apostle Paul, often one of his his most common ways to describe the church, was as the body of Christ. Not the idea of Christ, but the body of Christ. Because for Paul and Jesus, the point is we are supposed to embody God's love. It's that simple and that profound. You and I are supposed to be some kind of incarnation, some embodiment of God's love. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That our human lives are to be a place where God's life moves and breathes when we recognize that same spirit that Christ breathed onto his disciples is that spirit that animates us, that moves us. Like that mom was to her child, in our own way, we are called to become a presence of God, a God with skin on, this skin, your skin. So I pray that we can bring ourselves as we are to God, to seek and ask, and see, and listen, and believe this good news of God's love, the good news of resurrection. Everyone who encounters this risen Christ has a story to tell. That's why the disciples were told to go out immediately and begin to tell others this good news. Everyone who encounters God has a story to tell. This morning we have heard part of Thomas's story. I pray that God will bless us to live and tell our own. Amen.